0: Two hours of easy listening,
1: Thor, 1041. Hell yeah. <laughs> now we're all we're just starting off a nice like chill zone, right? Everybody's kind of relaxed a little bit after that.
2: I think I can pull you off a radio voice.
1: Absolutely. You, you, <laughs> have the best, you have the best voice of all three of us, for sure. <laughs> Damn, dude. Thanks. You know would be awesome though, and I'll guarantee this will happen at some point, is that you'll be able to start a space and you can create like an AI prompt of like describing the music you want to hear for your like little intro music thing, whatever. You can just like write like, I want to rap about ThorChain in, you know, uh, 128 beats per minute and in the key of C, and I want Jay-Z to be rapping it. <laughs> and it'll just like generate, it'd be awesome. I've been listening to
0: AI Kanye songs all morning, and they're fantastic. And uh, also, shout out to the people who would say I talk too loud. It's, it's because of the AirPods. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll try talking talk in a normal voice. But, uh, yeah. The Dude, AI, I saw those
2: comments. Yeah. I saw those comments. I didn't even know that was, like, a thing. Like, uh, chatting with you up here, I never really think about it, honestly. <laughs> Sounds fine to me. Same, t- same
0: here. All right, all right. Cool. Um, well, yeah. Either way, it, it's crazy that you can just you can literally just replace voices in like any song now. They, they, there's this one. It was a, a Kanye cover of a uh, Fast Car, and I was like, I was like, damn, this is just so good. And it, people making like their own song, you can just record a reference track, like the reference vocals, and just completely yeah. replace it with an art. Like you know, the, I'm sure you guys have seen this with the the like full like AI Drake and, and Kanye like songs or The Weekend or whatever. It's just absolutely insane.
2: I think this is a homework assignment for the audience. Uh, go use these tools, get ChatGPT or ChadGPT rather, to write a Thor Chad rap, and then feed it into all those tools. Get Connie to rap it, uh, oh, yeah, and the winner. Somebody's <laughs> got to do that. Somebody's got
1: to like somebody do it for real.
2: Dude, we could get we could get tons of them, and then uh, whichever one's the best, we'll play. <laughs>
1: oh, dude, yeah. Some, somebody, please do that, and. Anybody, whoever wins this stupid contest we just made up a second ago, we'll, th- we'll like flick you some small of root or something like that. Hell yeah. All right, guys. What's going yeah, on so, in the uh, blockchain
0: world? Yeah, nothing like too too crazy like in the in the past week. It seems to be slowing down just week by week, especially with like you know just random random things always just seem to pop up out of nowhere. Uh, there was that TS up, TSS upgrades We're finally on, uh, one hundred eight point three, I think it is as the the version number, which finally fixes all the TSS stuff and. Uh, Yeah, anything interesting about that? I guess it's just all kind of over now from this original TSS closure. Now the the, the churn should be starting in like less than an hour now. So uh, back to business as usual.
1: Yeah. I mean, nothing really too interesting about that. It was just uh, fixing some TSS issues, and like there's nothing really exciting about it, really, to be honest with you. It's actually some of the most boring technical aspects of the network, to be honest.
0: Yeah, maybe there's something to be said about just the uh, like how the network upgrades and like it, it does some. It does seem that like yeah, like Thorchain, like when there is maintenance, it is down for like longer than a, a sex is, and that's obviously just a function of it solving for decentralization rather than just being able to update all the nodes at once. Uh,
1: so, yeah, yeah. it's I mean that's it, one of those trade offs. It's a big difference. Like generally speaking, if if a project is having an issue or something like this in general you can almost measure its decentralization by the amount of time it takes to actually get it back online. Like if you're sexy, like you said, you can just like, you know, make some changes and deploy it and like carry on. And it's the same thing with like, um, like proxy contracts in general in the Ethereum world, like, because devs can generally just like deploy shit whenever the hell they want. They can go ahead and just fix things very quickly. Uh, but for us, we have to like, you know, outside of the actual dev work to fix the thing the actual thing is and that's by itself oftentimes it's complex and difficult and it takes the attention of multiple devs to working together and, you know getting into a war-, war room to understand the intricacies of what's happening whatever this stuffs. this shit's like you know not simple at all but beyond the actual like fix whatever the hell that is and finding the solution coding it out getting it reviewed uh, Thorsect to review it as well all that kind of stuff the actual time it takes for the network to adopt it is just a. it just takes time because we have to get effectively almost everybody to, to, to do it or actually literally everybody do it in some cases and sometimes not everybody but it depends on the thing we're actually changing but like this takes time for every, every node operator to come online and pull the update and uh, it's just a function of decentralization.
0: Yeah, and you can't just ping the person saying, hey, you know, dude, you're not online, you need to <laughs> go update, because no one knows who, like, right. a random node hasn't updated. There's, there's no way to, to know who the actual person is, or th- there's no direct way to contact that individual. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, but, I know there have been concerns about, like, oh, like, what if there's, like, one or two laggards? It didn't, uh, I was not watching too closely, but it didn't seem like it got stuck there for, for too long this time. But, like, what would have happened? Like, would it have just gone on for another day until like just until they did, or like at at some point can they get can they get kicked out or or just continue without them and then they get slashed, or like is that what would have played out if they hadn't have come through
1: yeah, I mean so I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about this this concept in the earliest days of Thorchain's design and like architecture, and you know and we had to think about even scenarios about of like an operator gets killed, but this node is still operating because, you know, the credit cards are still functioning, I guess, and paying for the node until like, you know, all that stuff happens uh, within the, in the meat space. But even in a scenario where, where an operator just dies suddenly and, you know, like we need to be able to do upgrades, even though that guy is obviously not gonna, ever going to update his node um, no matter what. And so we have mechanisms in place to even protect the network from even that scenario where um, the network will churn out, um, I think it's configured to be one of the current ones, but we can configure the number to be higher if we wanted to. To, every time we churn, we we churn out at one node for having um, a not a high enough version as the other nodes. So as soon as the network gets to a point where it says, okay, this is the new version, which is a two thirds majority of the nodes say, okay, the new version is like 109 or something like this that then tells the network that anybody's running 108 is now set to be churned out on the next churn but it'll only select one of those people that are on 108 and so eventually it might take some time but eventually everybody will eventually get churned out and then the network goes from 108 to 109 and if we want to do it faster we can do it faster just by like increasing that particular number and if it's not about versioning but rather some sort of tss issue or where we can't sign things and or something like this or whatever, like, then that becomes such a issue when the guy who doesn't update that that fixes the TSS issue for the most part will keep on getting blamed for fucking up the TSS it, so signing itself. And each time they get plain, blamed, they get more slashes. And as they get more slashes, eventually they get, like, to the top to be churned out of the network. And once they're churned out, they're, they're fucking out, right? So uh, there are multiple mechanisms in play to, to help us with this, but we even created another mechanism on top of all that just for just for like an emergency kind of pull switch. If there's something like crazy happening that nobody would expect it or something like really extreme, um, the network has the ability to just, just boot people out of the network, right? To just be, like without doing a churn and just like kicking some node say, off, out of the network for some reason. And so we can just like do a vote. And so a two-thirds majority of the, of the nodes can just kick out a specific node uh for you know doing something who knows what the hell that thing might be and uh, they get kicked out immediately and they're no longer part of consensus anymore They technically still have the tss share and a part of tss um and but i th- i think we have it in the code I have, to, I have to go check that like they wouldn't get uh pulled into key signs or that kind of stuff i'm not sure but that one, but i have to go back to the code and double check that one but like we have lots of mechanisms in place to, to protect us from rogue individuals it's just a question of like how strict do we want to be as a as a community or as a culture of like how fast do we want to chastise a particular node operator from not updating his node i think we must be careful not, not to be too like too trigger happy about that kind of stuff like for one you know people do sleep i sleep you sleep everybody sleeps node operators sleep so like you know if if somebody hasn't updated in, in six hours or eight hours like we shouldn't be you know down their throats and yelling at them for being a bad node operator necessarily because they just woke up and Something's happening. we all have lives and families and you know jobs and other things as well so but I think in general like a, a 24-hour period maybe a 48 hour period is probably good enough in my just my, my own personal two cents anything beyond that then we can start talking about like you know having more uh, more more drastic things we've been discussing debate in tr- like within the community itself like around the idea of like um, that uh, something like um, you start to get slashes or something like this after, if you haven't updated to new version and it's been more than um, 18 hours or something like this, then you start um, to get like slash or something like this, just to kind of like push people to be more on their, on their toes about, you know, changes and such. But it, that's, that's an ongoing kind of debate and conversation we can have in the community.
0: Yeah, related to that, there's, a, this is a kind of related question that I had, say, uh someone someone makes their own like version right it's not an official release and they update to you know 109 tomorrow and then the official 109 comes out like how how does the network like reconcile which is uh like obviously whichever one gets a majority is like the canonical version but like how does it reconcile between like hey this is the highest version or this is the, the highest version or it could be a reverting change but you just up the version number or something like i'm sure there's like some, some nuances around that. I'm just curious, like, uh, you know, what the details are about that.
1: Yeah. So uh, you can never go downward, right? You can never set your version lower. So once you set it to 109 or something, you can't set it to 108. Um, 109 is defined by, at this time, at least at this time, it's defined by the team and it's defined by a specific, um, let's call it a, a Git hash, which is a very specific way of referring to a, a very specific uh, implementation of code um if hypothetically speaking let's we'll just imagine that somebody else in the community that's not part of the core team releases their own version of 109 and they make a change to the to their known operator to pull in this new version of 109 that is not released by the team is released by some random node operator or something like this and then they pull in that change assuming they don't fuck anything up entirely in, in that code which that's its own topic but like assuming they do it correctly and they don't break anything, not that they could break the ch- like the chain or the network or anything, but like break their own node more specifically. But like um, if they were to do that, the network wouldn't have an ability to differentiate between the networks, the, the, the OG team or the, the, the dev team's 109 and the, this other guy's 109 version of, of 109. Um, and so when we all set to version 109, like everybody goes to 109, there's one dude that's running a different 109 than the rest of everybody else, right? And the network starts to use that version 109 now everybody's on a 109. But that one dude releases own personal 109 and everybody else is using this other version of 109, which eventually would, would, would cause that one dude's node to break entirely. He, he, would, he would get into a consensus failure because he's got something different about his 109 in terms of its behavior than like, everybody else's behavior. And so that one node would break, right? We get into a consensus failure. And then the network would continue on and everything would be fine. Other than that one guy just breaking his own shit. If you got into a more extreme scenario where there was two 109s, one released by the team, one released by a node operator, and now you have half the people upgrading to that one and half the people upgrading the other one, well, that would cause a, a consensus failure and that would hold the chain because now there's no longer a two-thirds majority agreement on what is the behavior of 109 now there's like half over here half over there and so we basically can't we're we're at a lock at that point and we can't commit any new blocks nobody's transferring anything nobody's getting their room back as validators nobody can get their lp positions back nobody can transfer room like the whole thing is fucking just frozen until somebody on one side or someone on the other side comes to the other side and, and then we get two-thirds majority and then everything continues on and that one third that that is using the other version, they just remain in some failure. They remain broken, and probably are incurring uh, slashes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I was just wondering like how that whole thing kind of works. Cool, thanks for the explanation. I
1: mean, this is a pretty like a, uh, you know fairly extreme. We haven't, we haven't seen this yet. Like we've never seen anybody outside of the the, the core team. Um, uh, like release a version of, of Thor node for a lot of reasons, but like we haven't seen that yet. And not to say that it couldn't happen or that it won't happen. If it did happen, I'd actually be quite fascinated by it just to see what, what it was all about, what they're trying to do and blah, blah, blah. But it's theoretically possible. Like like the core team could just say, uh, you know, some random node operator could produce a new version of 109 and say, Hey, here's 109. Here's the, the hash, Here's how to update your node to this my version of 109. And if the two thirds majority of the network says okay, we're going to go ahead and accept that. Then guess what? We are now using that thing that they release, right? So that's you don't even actually need the teams to release the next 109 or whatever. It can anybody can theoretically do it as long as you get two thirds majority of the validators to agree to that particular 109, whatever the hell that is, whether it's released by us or at least by somebody else. It doesn't really matter not actually reliant on the team to release something in order to upgrade or make some changes.
2: I guess the thing that comes to mind for me is like so the nodes still need to know like what is the sort th- not a I was going to say authority that's not the right word like but they need to know like what the trusted version they they should be on is like what's the real one or like what are they all like who are they all looking at to be like okay yes like this is the legitimate correct version right. to adopt.
1: Right. So hypothetically, like, so I would be shocked and surprised if, if people have just like accepted some random <laughs> build for some random dude where you can't even see like what's inside of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That would be, that would be crazy town if that would ever happen. But, um, uh, cause who knows what, what's in the in the build, but like generally speaking, when you have a commit hash, you, and you, you can reference that commit hash and you can validate that all of this what, this, what includes in this hash is like all of this code here, whatever this code is, which is all open source and can be validated and like by me and you and everybody else in the world. And so like it it wouldn't, I mean, we should be careful, obviously, but it wouldn't be a really great way to insert some kind of like exploit of some kind because it probably have to be done in, in clear text, have to be done in the open with transparency in order for the nodes to actually agree to to install it because like, why the hell would node operators agree to install some random, you know, node that uh, some random build that like nobody knows what the fuck's in it? <laughs> like that would be crazy, time. Uh Yeah, that wouldn't make any sense. No, that wouldn't make any sense. Like I could, I could like do that. Like I could create like an anon Twitter account right now, for example. You know, create KYC, tweet out to everybody like, "Hey, I got this new bill that's going to make Thorchain a thousand times faster," or something like this, right? Some bullshit line. And then get like, convince all the node operators to install it, even though they, they didn't they can't or won't uh, validate it's like it's working so forth and so on. And, and that would just be nutty. Like that would be insane. Theoretically, it's possible, I suppose, but like that would never happen. Really,
0: cool. Yeah, totally get it. So yeah, the version update's finally done, and uh, moving on forward. So, yeah, I don't know uh, I don't know what's coming up in in 109. I mean, It's probably too early to to talk about that, but uh now we can finally get back to to regular business like testing lending and get, getting the actual features out there rather than
1: uh doing this TSS upgrade stuff. yeah absolutely. yeah, the team is very like I feel like the team in general right now is just very very thin in a sense, like everybody's just very busy working on their own independent you know thing. Will that be lending or testing lending or that be like, you know, osmosis integrations or uh, integrations with other wallets or like, it's just, everybody's working on something. And so it's just like, it's like, we're just, we're, there's a lot of things like in flight.
0: Yeah. It's just constantly that way. Just so many things just on the horizon, but just a lot of work to, to get to that end result which like obviously that's what we all where where we all want to get but like uh there's just so so many things that have to be done between now and to where we need to be um yeah i don't think anyone's touched lending recently just because of all of the uh all the craziness around this last version so um i think that should be i think that's the next priority is uh just continuing with the with the lending testing and finally
1: shipping that yeah I think that's that's probably the next the next priority once we get like away from all these TSS and literally the issues and such.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, did we want to talk about what we want? There's streaming swaps, there's uh, ADR 9, uh, and there's the other ADRs. We kind of talked about them last week. But yeah, some, uh, some conversations that have, that have happened. Yep.
2: Real quick before that is like on the lending testing, there was that cool tweet a handful of days ago just showing how like the burn on stage net was going uh like I, I don't know like how much activity on the lending has been going on but it was just cool to see like what was it like 20 percent of the rune had been burned or something yeah. on stage
1: net oh really I... maybe
2: maybe it wasn't that high but it was like a good chunk <laughs> somebody posted like a screenshot of a dashboard I think I missed like, that. yeah
1: i think i missed let that. me see
2: if i can i'll try to find it in a minute here but but yeah maybe we should we we can move into one of those other topics. I think yeah, this, the streaming swap topic would be pretty pretty cool to hear.
0: Yeah, streaming swaps. Let's go into streaming swaps while Chad pulls that up. Uh, yeah, I mean this is something that like like I I know we've talked about this before. Just th- this is a feature that would potentially like if if this is something that ends up going forward, uh, something that would reduce general swap fees uh, through the network and basically. Like the the functionality of it is to automatically split your swap up into multiple smaller swaps, just just like it's recommended to do today. Where if you do one larger swap, you're paying more in slippage. Uh, but that's just pay, that's just paying for the convenience of not having to break up your swap. But the proposal here is to implement a new type of swap that would essentially allow the network to break up your swap for you and then just send the output of those broken up swaps you could say like hey i want to break this swap up into 10 swaps over these the next ten thousand blocks and it you know takes in your bitcoin and then you know every you know whatever the interval is it just starts uh swapping over that over that period and then at the end when it collects uh when it collects everything it finally just sends out the outbound at the end as one transaction so it's the same Uh, It's a similar user experience where you're just sending in one transaction, you're getting back one transaction. It would take longer because the swap is being conducted over a longer period of time rather than just being one swap. Uh, But the, the real win is in the UX side of things where it would just cost significantly less. The more you break up the swap, the less it costs to do the swap. Obviously, the downside of this is less... Uh, less income to liquidity providers this is something that needs to be like carefully considered but i think the the, the big win especially for uh savers um be- because like obviously you need to pay a, a slip fee to enter and exit savers but with something like streaming swap where you can break it up automatically uh you'd be able to deposit and withdraw with very very little slippage incurred in comparison to like what you'd actually pay today so you can deposit much more and withdraw much more and pay much less of your principal in in fees. Enter and exit, which should be just a huge win
1: uh, overall. Yeah, this is actually um, a kind of a funny idea, just because at its face value, it sounds very small, like a, not like a, not a big, not a big deal, um, because it's like, oh, you can just it allows you to do off chain, which you don't why you do on-chain, which you can already do off-chain, which is break up a, a trade into smaller trades and blah blah blah? And it sounds like it's like, oh, that's kind of it's kind of nice, but whatever you. Know. Uh, and but it's it's actually a much more significant in terms of its value that are it, that that it, that it has for the network. It's much higher than it, like it actually sounds at its face value. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, um, like like you were saying a second ago, that like. Oh you can enter and exit savers you know paying very little swap uh, fees right so which is good because that means all the yield that you generate as, as a saver you get to keep more of that yield for yourself and and and, um, and don't give much of it back to the LPS for uh, for the swaps. that come out which is good. that's good stuff. It helps kind of foster growth for savers for that reason same for lending, same for order books like all these things kind of would foster more growth for those kind of features which is great. But to me, that's not the actual value proposition of this idea. It does provide value for those things, but to me, those things are much smaller than the actual value proposition of what this thing actually does. So let me explain to you why I feel this is actually a very significant concept. And that is that um, this, this idea has the ability that we can set a minimum size of these swaps. So say you were doing like, you know, a ten thousand dollar trade and you're going to do it over ten trades so you know each one's going to be a thousand dollars blah 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 right so we can set on on the network of like the minimum size that a mini swap one of these thousand dollar like mini swaps can be on the network so you can't just infinitesimally go to zero and make a stream swap where you pay absolutely nothing in fees right and pay nothing to lps for providing the service of, of providing liquidity. So there's like a lower bound to it. So it's, it can't be like, you know, abused to the point where it like just empties LP. Like that was my initial concern about this idea in general was it like it would just cannibalize LPs like way too much, right? But by setting a minimum swap size for these like little mini swaps within a street and swap, like it makes sure that we, we don't actually cannibalize our like. Our swaps we're getting in now in terms of the value proposition is to the network and we allow swaps that are much bigger that wouldn't be used on, on the network today that they don't use Thorchain; they use coinbase or binance or changely or change now or like one of these random you know places to to facilitate their bitcoin to ETH swaps just because it's way too expensive on Thorchain, the price executions is way better on you know on a coinbase even though it's decentralized and kyc and like in a ux um um, disaster, in my opinion, and like this kind of stuff. So it allows us to actually change the the economics of how we charge fees on the network to allow basically of any trade size to a large degree to be trade on Thorchain. Even if it's like somebody wants to do a ten million dollar trade, for example, it is possible to do that now on Thorchain and not go make a ten million dollar trade with you know Coinbase. Right, like we can literally set with this a simple mirror configuration where you can just we can increase it or decrease it as we want as a community to have our to have our fees be as expensive or as cheap as we want. And I think if once we get to the place, and this is what I'm um, this is what I'm kind of gunning for personally, and the, the community can you know debate and argue with me all they want, and we can have that conversation, is that I think once we get to the place where we have better price execution, then not just like other DEXs, because literally there are none right now, but but to beat all the sexes as well. Like, I mean, all of them. And I think we, with this feature, we can get to a place where we can literally say that if you want to buy or sell Bitcoin, the cheapest place to do it on the internet is on ThorChain, literally. Like, literally, you could not trade Bitcoin to ETH more cheaply on any other location on the fucking internet. uh, Thor Chain becomes the best price execution everywhere. And that to me means that the amount of trade volume that we would see from that, I mean, right now, like, centralized exchanges get like 90% of the fucking trades, right, of like the Bitcoin trades. Like, we have an opportunity here with this that theoretically we can get orders of magnitude increase in like volume passing through Thor chain, massive quantities. Right. And we can, we can control very easily with just the Mimir, like how cheap you want the trades to be and how expensive you want them to be. And like all that stuff. Like, I think this is actually like a huge, like game changing concept for the network. It sounds so simple. so stupid. And like at its face value, it is, but it's implications of what it can do for the for the protocol and how it can serve the industry as a whole is quite gargantuan in my opinion. And we can literally just become the best place to buy and sell Bitcoin, ether and other assets bar none. And that would be insane.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's huge. All this functionality is kind of possible already, right? It's just not automated. Like this automates the splitting of the transaction. This is all possible today and you can already break up your trade. And into ten swaps and pay maybe eighty percent less fees on a on a ten thousand right. dollar swap, let's say. But uh, th- this just automates it. Make makes it so you don't have to sign ten different transactions and you know just go through all the extra mental headache. Trying- right?
2: Yeah, but- yeah, and it it just makes it so like the the user is is like like they don't have to make the choice to like use the decentralized thing. They're going to use the decentralized thing because it's better. It's like getting somebody to like tr- trying to convince somebody to like eat healthy food. And they're like, Oh, well it doesn't taste good or whatever. It's like, if it actually tasted the best, then they would eat the healthy food anyways. And, and in this case, it's like if they're actually getting the best swap, then they'll use the thing that's decentralized. They use the thing that's, you know, all, has all these other benefits uh, that they don't even have to be like consciously choosing to, to be using. Um, but Does
1: one, I'm sorry one oh, go ahead? One thing that's actually really different about this, like if you were to break your trade up manually, right, and do a, a, a ten trades, or and by the way, if you break up your trade into ten trades, you are going to pay ninety percent less in fees. It's just from doing even doing uh, two trades instead of one trade, you'll you'll cut your fees in half, right? And so if you do ten trades, you're cutting your fees that you're paying. 90% down, but the benefit of doing it on ThorChain with this concept versus doing it yourself in your own wallet or whatever, is that each time you do those kind of like mini swaps, you still have to pay outbound fees and gas fees and all those things. But in Thorchain's streaming swap concept, it doesn't do that on each individual mini trade. It does that on the final exit. And so you'll even it actually is providing a significant value because now you can break the trade into 100 trades and by the way if you do that you're paying 99% less fees but you're not paying a uh, 100 trade 100 gas transactions right 100 outbound fee tra- you know fees right you're doing it just once right
2: that's really interesting so it's it, it's accumulating it's like rather than doing 10 individual swaps you're basically like initiating 10 initial swaps but getting one output on the end
1: right right you, exactly yeah. and so you're going to you it's a much Uh, you'll pay a lot less in fees just doing on just gas fees alone, which makes it more viable for like, you know, humongous, like huge trades and very, very tiny trades as well.
2: So what about on the other side? Like who is earning less because of this? Like how much does this give less fees to, to, I mean, obviously the outbound fee part is interesting because that would be what the the reserve that's kind of missing out on some of that income, right? Um, But how much is it cutting down on like yield for LPs and, and savers if it's... This...
1: Yeah, so okay. the the reserve uh, currently makes some some income from additional gas fees that's that, been, that are being placed. ADR008 kind of changes that, and it makes um, kind of shrimp trades more viable on, on ThorChain, in a sense. And this kind of makes, like, whale trades more viable on ThorChain. Um, so who's losing the scenario? So that's a good question. So Think of it this way. You can either, you can, you have a scenario where you, you can pick one of two things either less volume, but higher fees, or more volume and lower fees, right? And now, how much of each of those things depends upon that kind of minimum swap value that I was kind of mentioning earlier. We can lever that thing down, lever that thing up. However, we feel as a community is a good, happy medium. Or whatever we d- d- decide that that means i don't know I mean, to be honest i don't even know what that number is quite yet um, um five bibs is what's been thrown out so far but we're still kind of like doing some research and analysis blah, blah blah whatever and so like the question we ask ourselves is that like is the act of making of opening up thor chain to be easily accessible by large whales to make like hypothetically million dollar trades and have a lot more volume coming through the network does that offset the current volume, the current income we currently have where we're, where we're taking like, what's the, what's the daily trade volume of fortune today? Like $10 million, whatever the hell the number is. And uh, and whatever income we're making from that on a per day basis is the, like, if we 10X the volume or 5X the volume or 3X the volume, and we reduce fees by, you know, half or something like this, right, overall, then it's a net positive and nobody actually loses, right? The, LP, the LPs don't lose, the nodes don't lose. And the you know whales get the swap, which they're uh, for a cheaper fee than they were, than they would pay on some other, on other exchange. And so, like, it just depends upon how we feel the community. My assumption is that, like, that that I like I read an article from Chainflip a little while ago, a blog post from them, and they were saying in their blog post that you can't trade five BDC uh, anywhere on a, on a decentralized way without incurring like five thousand dollars in. Um, and, and fees and swap fees. And that was, I think it, it wasn't even actually true at the time, but like, I think it's actually close. Thorchain's chains like 2000 or two and a half thousand, something like this right today. But like none, none of the point, like he's right in what he's saying that like huge volumes are not really viable and just exchanges. And he's also saying that like over 80% of the spot trading world is actually five BDC or greater in terms of value. Right. Like we, and we, for the most part, we're probably not touching that those trades all that much on thorchain chain. Maybe some are breaking up into smaller trades, or maybe once in a while, some whale who's very impatient uh, wants their trade now, blah, 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 and we'll pay the additional fees, which we do. That we do see that every once in a while, and so. But like, uh, by opening up to those, to according to Chainflip's analysis, you know we're missing eighty percent of the the spot volume trading. By opening up to that other eighty percent, the the, in, the increase in volume, you know, hypothetically should increase quite significantly. So. My, my assumption, and I could be wrong if people can argue with me, is that um, there's a huge uh, – we're only grasping a little b- part of the market, and there's a lot more to be grabbed. And it's e- once we have this feature, it's a lot easier to grab the feature because we can just beat everybody on, on, on price execution. And once we do that, I think the volume will naturally follow it. And by doing so, the, the income of the network should naturally go up. But that's just my opinion.
0: Yeah, right now, like for for talking about Bitcoin to Ether swap, which is our biggest route on, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere, like like Trust Wallet, that's the one of the most popular routes, Bitcoin to Ethereum. Uh, we're we're extremely competitive against like Change now, change, the centralized swap services. We we better price execution. You can go on any of those websites and go in Thor swap and. Test out what a what a swap is, and we have better execution from I would say probably around five hundred dollars to a, right around seven or eight thousand dollars in that range, and where, where you're you're getting more just from a regular Thor chain trade, but this just widens that window so much, and in, what this actually does is just makes it easier for integrations because like I, I know I've been saying this a lot, but I, I'm just gonna keep saying it. So, like every one of these wallets that wants to integrate Thorchain, uh, a lot of them, their number one concern is just fees, and they're they're perfectly content with their centralized swap service and KYCing their users and saying like, oh yeah, well, whatever. This is easier. We already have the API plugged in, and they get better X here, so we're just gonna keep it. But uh, decentralized swap service that has better execution on on both ends, you get that down to to a hundred dollars and a million in that in that range where ThorChain is most competitive and then all of a sudden there's a, a much larger market in how many people are going to be able to swap and then it just makes it that much easier for us to do integrations where, you know, teams are doing their due diligence on ThorChain and saying, well, wow, I mean, you can get better X for pretty much every price range. It's kind of a no-brainer to integrate the swaps then. So, that, that's the huge yeah, win, so- I think.
1: So to take your example, like so if we have better price execution changing uh comparing us to, to change leading change now, and when we compare ourselves to those in some ways because like they're non-KYC but centralized, I don't know why that's legal or how that functions. It sounds like it shouldn't, but it does for some reason. I don't know, I don't get it. But like if we're better on the you know up to eight thousand dollar range, right, to, to use um um cow's numbers, if we make the minimum swap size a minimum of like let's just call it $4,000, right? Anybody who's currently trading now couldn't really use this feature because you could because your minimum because your mini swaps out would be less than 4,000 and therefore the network wouldn't take it it wouldn't allow it, right? So you have to do if there's one swap you can't do it in two swaps. And, and so, but like all of a sudden a 16,000 trade or a $20,000 trade or a $100,000 trade or a $500,000 trade is now cheaper on Thorchain than it is on change change now because they're, I think they're like generally like 25 or 25, 20 or 25 basis points for the most part, depending on some things. But like we now can beat them on the full gambit of every, just basically almost every single trade that can be done. Like we beat them in basically almost every single case. And the fees that we're now collecting already today are unchanged. We, we don't get any less fees being paid for the current swaps. We already have the network today. So like, if we just do that, we already just beat changely and change now without having any losses to the LP's perspective or the node's perspective, right? But if we want to be more aggressive than that, when it's like, you know what? We can beat changely and change now they're at either 20 or 25 basis points, right? But, you know, uh, a Coinbase or a Binance is doing, you know, seven basis points or 10 basis points, 15 basis points, so depending upon uh, a bunch of different uh, attributes. And so like, if, hey, if you want to destroy, you know, Coinbase and or go after Coinbase and and, and and Binance and those kind of guys and crack and whatnot. We can. We can just change that little here and set from four thousand dollars, set it to, you know, a thousand dollars, just how much of the actual number would be. if I had just throwing out random numbers, but like some some smaller amount right? And by doing so, we would now like we, not only are we wrecking change chat like change now, we're like way the fuck ahead of them. We're also now beating every major exchange in existence. And that we can do that just by enabling it, <laughs> which to me is just like, uh, quite comical. We'll just like beat Coinbase enable now,
2: <laughs> man. That's insane. I mean, yeah, that'd be, that's just like the, the golden ticket to, to getting it adopted. Cause obviously like the, um, you know, most people just care about the price, right? It's like, if they have the option, uh, especially when talking about like integrations and, uh, you know, a lot of these like integrators, have ThorChain as, as just one route, right? It's like they might have multiple providers and then they're just like surfacing to the user the best price execution and nobody really cares about the backend or at least a lot of people don't care unfortunately. But yeah, I mean if the price is the best then it's just like obviously going to be adopted. Like there's... Re- <laughs> what, what could stand in the way of it at that point? Like nothing. Yeah, take yet. Exodus
0: wallet for example Exodus. Has any, have you guys made a swap on Exodus? Uh, when, when you do you don't actually see your provider at all it's just it's completely just hey i have this much ether and then it, it they have their own you know estimation server where they run through a bunch of different quote endpoints and say like all right let's check changely let's check change now let's check uh you know this other service and they have they've dozens of them uh, there, there's many of them and they they check every single one to say uh yeah, the execution is best on here, but this one takes longer than, than this one, and this is, like, the finale. There's the other kinds of guarantees that it has. They, they do kind of, like, a weighted ranking of all these different factors. And obviously, like, you know, ThorChain, there's no risk for for KYC or, like, your funds being held or, or anything like that, but... Uh, it's at that, that price x where we are competitive on a certain number of ranges than others we aren't but yeah the, the the users of the wallets don't really care they're just going to use whatever service is being offered to them so and the wallets their primary goal is to just offer the the best rates because that's a big advertising point for the wallets to give to their users say hey we we can guarantee that you are going to get the best rate on this trade so yeah, I definitely think we should step up and uh, and meet them where where they want us, uh, and that's that's really what's going to move the needle for for Thorchain and get us yeah. get us the big integrations that we need to uh, keep going forward.
1: I, th- I think we all heard something similar from like if I'm not mistaken, Paul from EdgeWallet, who sometimes hears these faces like, I think he had said some point that like the number of trades that they're sending us is not a gargantuan number, in part because they have better price execution on other 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 locations and so as soon as we have better price execution we just i think that inherently will just create more volume right yeah that's
0: that's the exact argument if you have the best price x then everyone's going to you for the trade because you have the best x so why would you not use the one with the where you get the biggest output
1: right and i think once we get to a place where like we are the cheapest place you could buy your bitcoin or sell your bitcoin i mean like that's just
2: game over at that point so I haven't thought this through yet, but how, how does this play in with Dexag?
1: Yes. So, um, Dexag can still work with this. Um, The network would trade the, like, let's just call it like AVAX to ETH trade, right? Or something like this, right? Uh, It would do that with a streaming, a streaming swap. And then once it's done with the streaming swap, it would send the remainder to the ETH to, uh, you know, Uniswap or something like that. So, it should be completely compatible uh, and still work just as well and we could even like theoretically we could do this with order books too where order books is not doing everything in a, in a single trader swap but order books is like kind of doing little mini swaps within within limit orders I think it's possible to, to do that as well
2: man that's really interesting so I, so I guess like something like like swap kit or Thor swap could like quote it figuring out like okay BTC to eth gets this output of eth with the streaming swap therefore, The quoted USDC out is going to be X amount, which is higher than which is higher than Thorchain directly, which is higher than and also higher than regular Dexag. So it'll be like this whole thing kind of on steroids to an extent because it's giving you like the best execution on the on the ETH and then the best execution on the yeah. That's awesome. That'd be really yeah.
1: So, but here's here's the negative though, right? Here's what you're this is what you're losing with this concept, right? Is you are opting to do a, a slower or longer trade for better um, price execution, right? You're or, or, or paying less than fees, right? And so instead of doing a trade in this particular moment, say you're doing a trade every 10 blocks, 10 trades in total, that's a hundred blocks, that's approximately 10 minutes of time. And with that, you're getting a 90% reduction in, in fees that you're paying, right? Hypothetically. And maybe the the two asset you're coming from, the, the source asset and the target asset, are you know bitcoin and, and to call it and uh the price change of bitcoin and eth shifts in that 10 minutes from you know one direction to the other direction either in your advantage or against you in, in either option so you could save 90 percent in in fees but you, you it may have been it may just end up being better to have executed it in a single trade and paid more in fees because the price change of bitcoin and eth in the next 10 minutes is enough to cause you to like the the money that you saved in the swap fees to be lost in the change of the prices of those two assets. Right. That's not the case when it comes for like for like assets. Right. If you're trading USDC to Tether or you're trading synthetic Bitcoin to, you know, um, layer one Bitcoin or derived, you know, asset Bitcoin to synthetic Bitcoin or something like this. Because like for like, the, the prices are always this, more or less the same to each other. You don't run that risk at all. You don't have to worry about you know you kind of getting rugged from the idea of like price changes between two vol- two different and volatile assets. Here in that scenario, all the things are the, are the same in terms of like their value. So you never have that that problem. And I think in our cases, like I'm actually willing to have like two different min swap sizes. One for like non like trades like Bitcoin and ETH. And then a very small, which like maybe that's going to be like four thousand number, just to throw that number. Out. I mean, I don't know if the actual number would be just some number. And then the uh, like for like trades, like you know, stable to stable, uh, synth to layer one, or whatever that might be, to be far smaller. And by putting it far smaller, the fees you would pay on those would be like, you know, it, it basically close to zero, and you don't run the risk of like, you know price movements or whatever this is, which is what we want to accomplish for helping to grow and foster growth to savers and lending and order books, um, the order books from into the sense cent- or exiting the sense, cent- but not the actual order like itself, like going from Bitcoin ETH on the order book. So like, I think it would make sense to me that like we have some sort of min value for like non, like for like, you know, trades. And then we have a very tiny or almost non-existent, uh, min value for like trades just to foster, I mean, because like for, for savers and for lending and for order books and this kind of stuff, like it's not really you know, entering the synth and exiting the synth within the order book or, or entering the saver or leaving the savers. That, that's like the value prop for the network. The network doesn't get a lot of, I mean, an extra, an extra swap or two is great, but like it's not where the value prop is for the feature. The value prop is like yield Bitcoin on your Bitcoin, you know, limit orders on a decentralized exchange across, um, uh, uh chains uh you know fixed uh zero percent fixed rate interest and no liquidation loans like that's the value prop. it's not like extra couple of swaps you get here and there so like we just zero those swap fees out just to foster more growth in those things so that people can get the value without paying more fees and then with the non like for like we have some sort of min value of you know it probably won't be four thousand dollars and probably be like something set in basis points relative to the depth of the pool but we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure out the, the math of that uh, later on
0: yeah man uh, that's it's gonna be cool um, so I like I think this kind of this idea was started this week so I don't know if there's been any like official documentation on this or anything or um, there is actually yeah.
1: if you go was there uh, yep it's, it's, a, it's a GitLab issue number fifteen fourteen. If you want to dive into the depths of it, um, this is the current write up. It's not the complete write up. Things are subject to change. Um, even within the, the dev team, we're still kind of debating and arguing about certain things, whatever. But I think like when we first started talking about this thing, I was like, I wasn't really for it. I wasn't really against it because I was, because I didn't was afraid that people would abuse it. And then where where everybody would tra- like where everybody could make any trade at, at basically no swap fees. And then the network would have like no, basically no income. Cause if you had no min swaps, then everybody can trade it like no swap fees. And then everybody might trade it no swap fees, except for arb bots. Like our bots can't use this feature. They, they're trying to arb the pool. They can't just do this over time that they have to do it immediately. Uh, and so the vast majority of trades probably wouldn't even use this to be honest with you, because the vast majority of trades are arb uh, bots, but uh, I didn't want to basically zero the income of the organic trades of the network because of this, Kind of made me feel uh and probably you too a little bit uncomfortable but once you had the idea of like the min swap size concept that to me was the the game changer that made this whole thing viable without uh allow us to control um you know how, how 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 little we people can pay in fees in some sense
0: Yeah, but is that even really that big of a deal? Because because you can just split your trades up normally like this anyway. Like you, you could write a bot that just, you know, automatic. You could break up one swap into a hundred different uh, into a hundred different swaps and pay ninety nine percent less in fees today. And obviously, that's not going to be used by like most users. But anyone that has like the capability of doing that could be doing that and paying almost nothing in fees.
1: Yeah, but the the problem with that is. Uh, Yes, you can do that on paper, right? And I've actually personally written a little script myself just to do some like I wanted to do a bunch of trading on Thorchain, and so I wrote a little script for myself to automate some trading and, and reduce my fees and so forth. But like the 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 more the more you break it down into more trades, and the longer it takes for you to do all those trades, and we and you can do it more effectively and faster on Thorchain, like rather than you just like submitting transactions it's actually a little bit more efficient for certain to do it for you in some ways, but like the longer you do do that, right. The more price exposure you have to both assets during that kind of like transition from asset A to asset B. And so like, if you're trying to go from five basis points being being paid to like two basis points, like more, the risk, the, the likelihood of you losing that three basis points benefit in the 30 minutes or an hour, or whatever the hell the time is, is, fairly likely (laughs) do you know what i mean
0: right that makes sense but it's also the same for just the streaming swaps in in general where it's like you you're you're not going to be able to be as accurate in the amount out that's estimated uh where you'll be able to get a fairly uh, accurate picture of what your slip would be but you it's obviously impossible to predict the pool balance given that it's a swap that right to finish the whole swap it might take two hours let's say and it's uh, like I don't actually know how long like something like that would take, but like let's say it takes two hours to finish that streaming swap. Then you know it, it's one of those hugely volatile days. You, you know you, you're not you, you're already losing that like being able to to go to the quote endpoint and be like, oh yeah, I know that if I swap right now, I'm going to get this much out. There's no guarantee of like I'm going to get this much out. So it's it's the same risk right uh, either, either that, way. That,
1: and that's one of the the negatives of this feature. Actually, I, sh- I should I should mention is that like. Right now, when you make a trade on ThorChain, you can specify, like here, I'm putting in one BDC and I want to get out X number of Ether on the other side. And if the network does a swap and just pays the outbound fees and all these things happen and it, the number of outbound, you know, Ether tokens is less than the one that you would specify, then they'll just do a refund, right? So just send you back your one BDC minus um, a few bucks in, in, in fees. And... With this feature, because you're trading over a a period of time and you're committing changes to the chain and people are swapping and trading on that information and all that kind of stuff, you can't really revert a trade, right? So that's the negative here is that like, it's kind of a set and forget and whatever happens, happens. We might have ability to like cancel in the sense that like, okay, half your, your streaming swap has has gone through, the other half has not, but things are going in a direction you, you just don't like for whatever reason you send a cancel transaction. And then it just like, okay, it cancels and it sends you the Ether that it, that it already swapped and, and some of the and, and, and the Bitcoin that it hadn't swapped yet. And you get both sent in both directions. So you can like, you know, you, you get partial fulfillment of your trade and because you canceled it midway through or something like this. Like That might be possible. But like that's one of the changes here that like, you, don't, you you can't actually determine how much Ether you're going to get in the long term. And which is kind of funny too, because like I was talking to Thorchain well, um the other day about this this concept of stream swaps. And one of the things that he was saying was that like one of the most heavily utilized trading tools in, in, in the spot trading world uh, for like, you know, big whales and people who have lots and lots, lots and lots of money uh, is what was called like a, a TWAP, uh trade, right? Which is a time weighted average uh, uh, price uh, trade. And so it's just like, it's for people who like want to make a big mo- motion into selling a token or buying a token, whatever direction they want to go. And but they don't want to cause a huge price change in the asset itself. I guess like the liquidity might be kind of low for that particular asset, or maybe they just don't want to make a huge trade and actually push the, the price up or push the price down. And so they do like a, a time-weighted average kind of thing where it's just like they just buy every hour or something like this for some period of time until like their trade is executed. And so then you you can you can do this with with this feature where you can say, like, okay, I want to do 10 trades but I want to do it like, you know, over the time span of like 24 hours. So 10 trades every, you know, um, I don't know how many blocks are on a particular day on on ThorChain, but like wherever it is divided by 10. And then like you can like make 10 trades over 24 hours and have a a T-WAP kind of um, selling of one asset and buying of another asset, which is kind of interesting. Brought up uh...
0: Crypto Sailor and r wizard. I think r wizard had some thoughts about this last week. Why don't we just uh, start with him? Hey, up, hey
3: love the direction that uh, this conversation is going. Making DEXs more efficient. Um, I had, I, I went, I listened to, to last week's um, recording, and I just want to make sure we're kind of here on the same page. Um, like in the concentrated liquidity model, there's you have fees and you have slippage every trade you're still getting like let's say it's a 0.2% fee, right? So if you're trading $100 of asset A, uh you're getting $99.8 back of asset B. Um so the slippage is getting close to zero, but that 0.2% fee is still going to LPs. Whereas in like a case where you don't have concentrated liquidity, instead of getting 99.8, you're getting 90 like that. So the concentrated liquidity model solves that slippage issue of get not getting as much of asset B back. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious to know, like why are LPs actually losing here? Like, why is that fee going down? I think what, uh, the goal here is to reduce slippage, not necessarily reduce the fee. I, am I correct in saying that? Are we on the same page?
1: Te- technically actually both is happening here. Right. So, um, for me, um, what matters is price execution, right? And that is that is a com- that is comprised of swap fees and slippage and all the, like and other attributes as well. But those are probably the most predominant things. And with this concept, both are happening, right? So, one of the ways to reduce slippage, which is what construct Query is, is kind of designated to do or, or designed to do, is to break up your trade into smaller trade because each individual trade will not push the ratio between that, those two assets very significantly, where if you did a one big trade, it would push the ratio a lot and causing more slippage in the pool, meaning that the next guy who jumps in, you know, has a different ratio than the previous guy. And so therefore it gets a different price execution because the ratio is different. Right. And so, uh, and usually you want to, you know, wait for arbitrage bots to kind of push the ratio back to where it is in the blah, 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 or, um, um, potentially, uh, LPs or whatever, but like, um, that's that's part of here is that we do get we do get much more capital efficient just by allowing this to happen on the network directly making it very easy uh, and allowing people to break over the trades into small trades you just naturally will get less slippage from that
4: yeah
3: okay um it's it, it, it's an interesting solution i would definitely have to think about it a lot more i think like you've already kind of mentioned the downside is it it takes longer um if If let's say you have, let's say you implement concentrated liquidity instead, right? What you get is you get your price. You already know what your price is. You get that price right away. That's one big advantage. And the second big advantage is you get it is the time advantage. You don't have to wait. Whereas like, you know, you might have to wait for some other guy out there who's on the other side of the trade who wants to take that same trade. Um, Or you could implement something that says like, you know, if the price moves against me by so much, don't execute the trade. Just wait a little bit longer until the price comes back. Something like this. It just, there's like a time disadvantage, a huge time disadvantage. Um, Why not just go the concentrated liquidity model way and say, you know what? We can still get that flat 0.2% fee on every trade, reduce the slippage. And by the way, that that fee is competitive with sexes anyways, because on a sex, you're you're paying a flat fee on every trade. Um, Why not just, why not do that? Like, why not go that direction?
1: Yeah, so cost of liquidity, I don't know how that would work in the context of like some of the aspects of the network. For example, like savers, right? Savers is a kind of a, a weird kind of beast. We're the first ones that do that. Um, and to, be, to me, that's a, uh, a very significant contribution to the space. It, it, being learned BBC or BDC is nothing to scoff at in uh, a decentralized way. So we're the first and the only ones to do that. And we'll probably be the only ones to do it other than our forks for years to come I think we're kind of ahead of, the, of, of, of that I don't know how we would how cost rate liquidity within the context of savers would work right but like if you if the goal here is to get uh, better execution, to get better slippage you know more capital efficiency there's lots of ways to do that right um the string softness is one way to, to accomplish that um order books itself is another way of accomplishing that uh queued liquidity which is another concept we, we penned up like a year and a half ago, but never actually implemented. Another way of accomplishing the same the same idea as contrary liquidity. Gives you that capital efficiency. So there's lots of ways to to accomplish the the task or the goal of what you're trying to accomplish. constant liquidity is just one of those mechanisms to do so. Um, and I don't think it's the right solution for this particular project. But I think it makes sense in other projects. Maybe it makes sense in like Chainflip's case. I think it's a terrible idea in Uniswap's case. I think they get fucked all the time. But like. Uh, by that by that system but like you know it works for different projects
3: yeah it's it's an interesting solution um yeah i mean like
1: you know i think one thing i
3: like about Thorchain right now is like small swaps can still be used right you don't alienate the small players which i think is like 100 in alignment with crypto fundamentals and first basics is you don't want like now to eliminate that um you still get fees that accrue to lps like you know lps don't get fucked um and I, it just, it seems like a very complex solution, but I guess maybe this is like resulting from my lack of understanding of a slip-based fee. Um, and yeah,
1: slip-based slip fees is, is actually like a really, like and that's another one of our innovations. And I actually sent out a tweet this this morning about it. where like, I saw this article from unchained about so this one, this one med dude, this one med bot, um, you know, earn a million dollars from sandwich attacks. Um, in a single day, which is fucking nuts. Um, and because of the slip based fee model, uh, along with the um, the swap queue system that we've designed and implemented, uh spinch tax are literally impossible on the network. There's no there's no traders aren't getting fucked over. Um, to think that like traders on your on your decks are getting rugged out of a million dollars a day or, or the fuck the numbers is now is Insane to me. I mean, that's just like an open known exploit that's being exploited all the time. And like, nobody cares. (laughs) I just don't understand that. I just don't understand. I don't know why people are like cool with it. Because it's definitely not not cool.
3: (laughs) This might be a a bit of a hot take. But MEV, like, if, if I'm trading $100 of asset A to get $99 of asset B versus $90 of asset B, I'm okay with that guy. Taking you know a little bit, or you know just smooching a little bit off that trade, if it means better price execution for me, so like it, it may not be the worst thing in the world to like you know f- uh, f- for for those that necessary evil exists, as long as I I'm getting a better price anyways.
1: But aren't you getting a lesser price inherently if somebody's taking from you?
4: Um, I mean, not you you don't really is can, the
3: slippage you, you, is reduced by more. If the slip, if, if it's if the slippage is is less, then I'm I'm happy to give up a little bit. But,
1: but you don't care about that, right? All you care about is I'm giving you, you know, X tokens is the source thing. I I want Y. I want the maximum number of Y on the way out of it. You don't exactly. really care anything other than that. You just I'm putting in X and I want to get Y, right? I want the maximum number of Y, whatever the fuck that is. And if somebody is fucking your trade in the process of that, and instead of getting Why you're getting y minus twenty, whatever the hell the number is, you're getting fucked. Like there's no other way to talk about it. You are yeah, but if the
3: slippage is plus forty, I'm getting y minus twenty plus forty, right? So if that guy is taking twenty
1: because I can get an additional forty because the slippage is reduced, yeah, okay. Not in a sandwich stack. In a sandwich stack, you're just getting fucked, right? You're talking about in a contract liquidity scenario or like. A way of using Mev to like to front run a trade or something like this. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's a little bit different than a sandwich attack. A sandwich oh, attack is just like attacking a particular user and fucking them over. That's fucked up. In general, like I don't think uh, Mev in general. People talk about good Mev and bad Mev, and like uh, I, I've never quite understood. Um, like, yeah, I guess I guess I guess you could. The, the, to me, is, is a fairly weak argument about. Good meta. It's not a, a bad argument like that. Just, just like,
4: eh.
1: okay. I mean, even even in our traditional finance system, it's a, it's it's illegal, and you would get you know investigated by the, the SEC if you were front running shit. I mean, everybody kind of does it anyway, and you know, even like Coinbase probably fronts run all your trades, and Binance probably does it too, and like it's just kind of a thing that happens when you have information, uh um, you know, about what's about to happen. People will take a, find a way to. To, to take advantage of that information but but like i think f- from like from our perspective the way we've designed Thorchain is just to to create the most egalitarian system most equal system where everybody's treated the same and that no individuals can fuck around with another individual right and and their individual trades or swaps or whatever it is so you can't do so like tax attacks on Thorchain. i'm quite happy that that's the case yeah uh um... but even on Thorchain, like if you want to do if you want to get best price execution, right, you want to get like, to make sure the pool price is correct. The pool price is equal to the market price. Like that's what you're talking about in some ways of like, oh, I see a trade coming through. I can blah, blah, blah. like the, the pool is a little bit off or whatever. I can, I can, whatever. Like you can do that with ThorChain's synthetics in a single block, right? Um, which is totally possible and even practical and probably does happen. Uh, I think we, can, we can probably get better in that way or we probably don't, ARBs probably don't ARB as, as efficiently as they could. There's probably more room to be made and more improvements to be made there. I mean, we can come build some tooling to help that. But in the end, all you care about is you put an X and you get a Y. You want to get as much Y as possible. And sandwich attacks will always give you less Y.
3: Yeah. Um, I guess just closing thoughts here. Like, I, I love the premise of Thor Chain, Cross Chain, Swaps. It's, it's a novel idea. Hate to see it lose to... Other systems that are more centralized and that pro- provide better slippage. Um, so I love the direction that like Thorchain is going in. Um, yeah, just my only concerns are like the time-based idea of trading. Um, is that going to discourage people? Is it not? Like you know, we don't really know. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, thanks for having me back.
1: Yeah, th- thanks, wizard. Uh, the one thing about the time the time concept is that like how much time is defined by effectively the depth of the pool. Right. So the pool is, you know, double the size in theory, you have half the time to make the trade, I guess, in some sense, to make the same, to have the same result, right. In terms of like fees paid, that kind of stuff. So um, like we can, we can give you better price execution with this, with this idea with, of this of this streaming swap concept uh, in theory. And then uh, as fortune continues to grow and, you know, lending launches and it causes um you know a bunch of buying and burning of room which causes room price to go which causes the tvl to go which causes the bond to go up like all these things could happen and the pools get deeper even if we do absolutely fucking nothing we just sat in our hands and inject shit um the the tvl will naturally increase just from bull market conditions right just by on some without us even lifting a finger so like as we get uh, deeper and, and deeper pools and that kind of stuff, which I think is a natural thing to happen with time, not to mention the additional uh, advantages of like launching this feature, uh, the streaming swap feature or lending or these other things as well, savers, all benefit to that stuff. Um, we'll just make the the time aspect tighter if you choose it to be tighter, but like, but not everybody wants a tight time frame. They want something actually quite longer and they want to have a, lo- a large tr- trade over a long period of time because that suits their, their intentions.
3: Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to do a, a deep dive over this slip-based feed to kind of understand why concentrated liquidity is impossible, especially if it's not compatible with some of the other features. Um, and uh, I'll be back on with more questions.
1: Yeah, please. Uh, I think it is compatible with the slip-based feed model. I think that's, that still works. I think it's, it's incompatible, or at least I haven't thought of, I haven't spent that much time thinking about it either, to be honest with you. But I don't know how that would work from the savers concept, to be honest but I, I have
0: to think I have to think more about it let's keep uh crypto sailor a minute here hey
4: hey guys how you doing I hope everybody's doing all right I just wanted to uh, I was uh, didn't have much questions our wizard like asked everything I would have asked and more um, but I also wanted to come at it like obviously I just wanted to kind of uh, pop my head in here about Something that I'm working on also that I think is slightly related, which is, of course, uh, a way to in, you know, hopefully add to increasing of depth of pools, etc., which is also adding to, of course, market efficiencies, etc. cetera. Um, I don't really know if, if how much anybody would want to go into that, but I've been working on a way of adding some security to the vaults during scaling of the network. So I'm hoping that this could be a way by which you know, uh, increasing trust in the market in, in the security protocol would in, encourage, let's say, people with uh, larger amounts of uh, value to add to the network. Uh, and anybody wants interested in, in learning more about it, obviously, there's a, there's a tweet that's pinned on my profile. So um, it's a really interesting way that I think is leveraging that something super unique and important about Thorchain that isn't talked a lot about, which is this whole non terministic validator set. So that's really like the key to everything. I don't know if there's many other or any other real proof of stake project that has the same kind of, uh, dynamic validator set. And that's really the only way that you can get enough like a trusted entropy into the system to be able to do any kind of non determinism in the state machine. So it's a unique, a unique opportunity to maybe exploit one of the really important, what I think, you know, kind of like a Holy grail achievement in proof of stake. So, um, that's just kind of the angle that I'm taking of it. Obviously, increasing the depths of the pools is, like, always going to, like, increase the efficiency. So <laughs> just wanted to let everybody uh, kind of up to speed on that and check it out. Uh,
1: is this the same yeah, thing you we were talking about? Video.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that um, – it- it was that whole video. It was like it was quite long, so I like I don't think anyone's really gotten a chance to like fully digest it yet. But I believe this was adding some extra. Um, well, it's adding non-determinism for the churns, where it, uh, somehow, it
2: more.
0: I don't know how to exactly say this, is, but it randomizes yeah. which which members of the Asgard's are in which are in which vaults uh, in a more random way. I believe rather than just doing a, a straight ordered
4: list. Correct. Yeah. The whole idea is to to eliminate the simple, like the simplest of attack vectors, which is to say, okay, like the vaults are economically secure, but let's like think in like maybe edge cases. So, um, like even like, you know, Dr. Evil doesn't care. You know, he just doesn't care about losing his bond. He just really hates Chad. So he's going to like take the vaults just to like, you know, besmirch it. So like there are ways that they're like a really kind of low level or a low barrier to entry if if you have like the means and the uh, out of band and downline ROI to justify taking the vault. So uh, this is a way of uh, taking away the ability to just simply align your colluding nodes into any vault you want and reduce it to like as you say pure randomness. And to try and like increase that entropy as maximum as possible. Well, at the same time, like importantly, you don't want to be able to be manip- manipulatable because the protocol can, you know, become disrupted by people who would uh, want to do this and in the manipulation of the entropy creates some kind of disruption in the network. So it's a kind of a tricky balancing act <clears throat> that you want to take into account when you're doing this. Obviously, you don't want you don't want any kind of brute forcing scenarios. You don't want to have like block uh proposers sitting there for like maximizing their you know their time window to try and like figure out the best scheme so it was a little bit tricky but yeah it does create some randomness in the assignment of the pardon me the validators to to, uh, to the particular asgard bold. so i think that that is something that (laughs) i think what really is kind of like also gonna maybe help with the scaling because I could see certain scenarios where people with large sums of money would might see that these attack vectors are, you know, edge cases, but maybe viable. So it could encourage people with, like I say, like larger stacks to maybe jump on board.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I have talked about this issue uh, a few times in, in previous uh, weeks, months, whatever it was been. Um To me, it, it doesn't sound like an improvement from my perspective, just because I think I, I can't remember all my points. I, I gave this more thought months ago and I kind of forget some of my points, but like um, that injecting randomness into the selection of which nodes are in which Asgard um, on the surface level sounds like a good idea. And I understand why people think it sounds good on the surface level, but it's much more complicated than that, right? For one, you can't actually have randomness. It's impossible to have randomness in a blockchain to my knowledge, Right. No, no, no. no. This is
4: this is the key point because Thorchain allows for this. Like this is what I I would like to kind of like get into a bit because this is like completely unique, and I I feel it's like not unpacked enough. Like, I, in my perspective, having been a part of blockchain space for ten years, what Thorchain did is massive. It's absolutely massive because you not only have like a Byzantine fault consensus like layer, but you have like a competitive, uh, performance based and bond based uh, mechanism by which you are like. Completely, in a way, you're randomizing the validator set all the time. So the validator set itself is a source of, like, it captures the, the, the non-determinism of the network itself because you can't guarantee the performance of any node on the network over any period of time. So the validator set has entropy that is secure.
1: Yeah, but to me, it would be very hard to, um, to, to capture one of these Asgards as, as because of that bonding competition on the inbound, right? So, if you, in order to capture an Asgard, you have to have, um, you know, 13 out of the 20, or I, I assume it's 20, I'm not sure the actual numbers maybe it's 18 or something like this, but like whatever, 16? Whatever the quantity is, right? Uh, if it's 16, then, you know, let's figure it's like whatever the hell the number is, uh, the 10 or whatever the hell the numbers. And so, you need to get 10 validators and one particular Asgard. Now, to achieve that goal, you need to have those ten Asgard's um, uh, bonded with a specific, very specific amounts of varying degrees, right? One high, you know, one low, and one medium, like across the spectrum of all those ten, in a sense, right? So you can't just like bond ten validators with ten huge bonds and get get them churned in. If you do that, you wouldn't be in the same Asgard. You'd be, it'd be it'd be kind of a problem, right? And so because it it, it spreads out lows and highs and within a given Asgard to a capture. Ten within a single, you'd have to get a very wide wide range of bond sizes, and by doing that, well, your your high bond you nodes know, will churn in, you know, rather quickly. But the low ones will have a hard time getting in, right, because they're competing with other guys who are trying to churn who are, who are higher than you, right? And even if you were uh, to, to do that, we're not relying on that concept to be able to protect the network. It's still economically infeasible to attack the network, even if you were to accomplish that. Like you're not, you're not actually protecting against anything other than like somebody just wants to buy up, you know, 20, 30, $30 million with the room just to burn, burn the world down and, and put their own pockets to zero. I mean, like that would be, you know, kind of, crazy. if that's the scenario that we're concerned about, then like, you know,
4: that's. Well, I do think like, there's like certain, like there is scenarios. Like I, I really think it's important to consider and obviously considering security, like hostility. From all different potential vectors. You can't yeah, just like it, assume that but, it was a vector and there won't be hostile people.
1: Okay, but if they're hostile, they're hostile in a way that is that is destroying themselves. Right. Like if you compare that to something like Osmosis, for example, right? Where you can go ahead and bond up and you can take all the money and you can run away with it and probably make a profit at that scenario, like they have, they have twice the TV on that we do. If you're if you're if your opinion is that oh if we if we you know if we change it so that it's it's harder for an actor uh to kill himself on the network rather than it would be easier to do it although i would still argue it's not easy uh or, or even, even even practical i might even argue but like but if that's the argument then like you know osmosis already has twice the tdl than we do it's like it's not it's i don't think that would actually cause more tdl i think that's a that notion is probably to me completely like ludicrous like
4: not, maybe not Lucas is the wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong word, but, well, but I, I think that's a
1: huge jump that like,
4: I would put it this way, right? So, um, if there's any way, let's say a multinational, I think, I think the, the, the wrong assumption is to think that there aren't disrupted incumbents who don't like blockchain, who don't like DeFi, who in fact might hate us and may hate you just for doing this, like Warren Buffett or something. So, for anybody right now to lose like five to 10 million dollars, in taking the vaults and then exploiting that to do a smear campaign across all of media because another defi dex blew up. And then that's another reason why you should, we should use CBDC. There's a way to justify ROI, like I said, out of banded down lines.
1: Right. Okay. So let's assume you're correct in that Warren Buffett hates me for some reason. Uh, I think he loves me, but maybe he hates me. <laughs> 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 right. He's mentioned you on many occasions, so I wouldn't be surprised. He he talks to me about me all the time. Of course, that's not true. But I still think that it's actually more secure to do it, and it's harder to capture an Asgard in its current mechanism with its deterministic methodology than it is to insert randomness, to be honest. Because the randomness, you will inevitably uh, eventually get there. It's it's randomness. So at some point, you're going to fucking hit it. You don't got to do anything. You just got to have some nodes. The only requirement is to have nodes. That's the only fucking requirement. And eventually, you will actually get there. Now, I completely disagree that it's actually impossible to have randomness. Because the only way you, you can have randomness is that you insert some kind of random concept into the, the protocol. But the only way you can insert anything into the protocol is through a validator. And if a validator is inputting the randomness into the system by some way, stretch, or form, which they have full control to do so, then they will insert whatever randomness they want that is in their own best interest. So if I have ten validators, right, say, say the randomness is the last app, the, at the last uh, a hash of the last commit, the last block, right? That's a, somewhat random. It's a huge sixty-four character randomly generated, blah blah blah, whatever. Right? It's not actually random. None, nothing in a blockchain is ever actually bugged. like there. Literally, is no fucking random. The whole thing was yeah, there
4: is. There is no it would
1: break Yeah, you can't have randomness. How do you have randomness in a yes.
4: There um, every like there it? is no way, there is no way to perfectly predict the performance of any node in the network over any long period of time. Like validators are earning slash points and earning rewards, and those those very the variance of that is affected by the performance of the network. So you cannot you cannot exactly predict what anybody's I
1: can, I can predict it. If I
4: know, what's if, that? You're
1: a, if you're a validator if you're a validator right now, and for whatever reason I want you to have more slash points, I can give it to you. I can I can DOS your node, for example. I can take your TSS, you know, uh, signing ability offline temporarily.
4: <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that's fine for you. Okay. that's fine. But the point is, you can't control the entirety. You want. Yeah, but you can't control the, can the entirety of the network. Right. So you, you can't control every single node state or every the history of every single no, uh, actually, node on you the you network. You do control every
1: single node network. You literally—that's what a blockchain like. Everybody has identical state. There's nobody who has different state. Yeah, of
4: course. Else. But any 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 change in the, in, the, in the in the in like the even the performance rating uh, or the bond of of the validators that exist in the consensus of the state machine as the validator set, you can only affect the the nodes that you control and or other nodes okay. that you would like to control, and you do not control right. the entirety of the network.
1: All right, so I, I've already shot in like at least four or five reasons why we're, we're down an even more extreme rabbit hole. But I'll let you take me even further down this rabbit hole, right? So explain to me, if you were going to have insert randomness into selection in terms of what node
4: is in which atoms guard, where is the source of randomness? Where are you getting it from? Right, so there's, there's three, let's say, three general primary sources of entropy that are available to us. Obviously, we know the black, the block hash is not significant. But the block time is also not fully manipulatable by any significant cohort in the in the in the in the consensus of beyond a certain range. Also, of course, we have the state of the uh, all the, the the data that's available to the state machine based on the validator okay. set. So I the just,
1: thing I, is, one at no, no, hold on,
4: hold on. Like, like, okay. Look, it's, okay. I've taken I've taken a much more sophisticated approach than I think you're giving me credit for. So okay. the idea is that you. you you create a balance of entropy, right? So you create sources of entropy that are yes manipulatable, yes validators in order to gain the system, which apparently is, will never happen because it's already secure. But in the in the in the in the analysis, in the analysis of the exploitation of this method, you're inherently saying that there's an incentive to do this. But now, but the existing method doesn't even prevent that. <clears throat> so. By creating so bounds of interest, that
1: your, sor- that your sources of e- empathy are not sources of empathy because it's manipulable. I can, manipulate yeah, them. of course, it's
4: manipulatable, of course, but that's not the, okay, point. the then point. It's not random, time. is it?
1: It's not random, then. If I can manipulate well, the outcome, it's not random.
4: If you're talking about like you know pure randomness, but as the, in any computing system, it's nothing really random, anyways. It's like it's, it's my like point. a theoretical that's my
1: point. You can't insert randomness, especially into a blockchain, because the only yes, but we is can we inside. can have
4: a non-deterministic state that we can exploit. So if we take like there is no there is no way for any cohort to significantly manipulate either the block time to a specific uh, target or either the entirety of the state of the validator set. Now, also not okay, in, no, in can, not only that I can I can do that though I can easily do that. Right. If there's <laughs> a
1: block time that does
4: not work- you, one person on the network. You have one node on the network, you're gonna do that. So you have centralized control if, of the network. First
1: sometimes. of all, I have ten according to you, I have ten nodes that I'm trying to manipulate to be in a particular threat so I can attack it only to, to lose money. Right. And you're
4: know, this is a fucking nutty situation. But okay, let's go down the hole. I'm telling you, it's not a nutty situation, man. Like you why would you think that there are there are entities in the in the world who have trillions of dollars, who would who would very much like like to dismarch blockchain. It's a complete false notion that somehow the blockchain industry, in, exists in some kind of benign environment. they exist in a fully hostile environment, and it's not proper mm-hmm. security approach to consider that's not the case. Okay.
1: The idea of self-interested individuals is, is how any blockchain works, whether we're talking about Bitcoin, we're talking about Ethereum, we're talking about chains, They all require this concept, right? Like it, it creates incentives so that people operate in the best interest of the network. And the idea of somebody going in there to just like, you know, I, like, for example, I could attack Ethereum right now and burn just like with just nonsense Ethereum transactions that do absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> and I just a huge, huge amount of Ethereum gas fees to do so. And I just block anybody
4: else from being able to trade on Uniswap. Right. But what's the cost, okay. right? You're, when the right. cost on the Thor <laughs> chain network is just like 15 million, right? The cost right now on the Thor Team network is what? Like to get into the vaults is 15 million. Write a script, put your bonds in the right order. You're in the vaults on the first churn.
1: No, you're not. That's not how that <laughs> no
4: no that, yes that would
1: if you get even that would it would take months to get to, to that place even if you wanted to get to that place you know that like it, it would take so fucking long it would take you almost like what nine fucking months to, even if you were right even if you're correct if you're saying what you're actually not but even if you were correct <laughs> it would still take you nine fucking months to get there minimum just
4: because with ten nodes it does not take nine months to get on you like have to what get I mean
1: turned out. And you're not going to get a node course. that's like 300 300 rune to be churned into the network. So it would take you, like, it's just not going to happen. Do
4: you know what I mean? Why, well, I mean there there are people that I'm talking to that think this is an issue with the network. So I mean, obviously that this becomes a moot point as the network scales. But I think there's big money on the but sidelines. You have, to protocol a, you have to call. You have to that is a little that, hesitant.
1: That you have to acknowledge that the the thing
4: that you're proposing here,
1: right? Of, of trying to create this empathy, uh, empathy for, for selecting things is not going to increase security because it, the only requirement to attack the network in the way you're talking about is just to have 10 nodes and then wait. If you have 11 nodes, even better. If you got 12, wait even less.
4: Correct. Right? So it's all in, you gotta do. It increases dramatically both the time and the, uh, the economic cost of attacking the network. I'm not saying that the economics isn't secure, within its, like, locality, like, yes, when a large network gets a, a really big and it costs, like, half a billion dollars to take over the network, then you can consider it secure in the economic context, like, in the global world. I'm just saying, from from the perspective now, it's like, ThorChain is not as secure in the vault as it could be. Maybe that's a reason why big money people who know that there are people with, who are nefarious, who are looking at this and maybe thinking, maybe it's not something I want to jump into yet.
0: I'm, well, to, hard- to be fair, I I would also agree with Chad that like I don't like I think the reason people aren't LPing is not because of the you know the the possible theoretical scenario of someone able being able to you know manipulate the vault order. It, it's like that is I think that's way too like high level to to talk about. Like oh yeah, LPs aren't. LPing because of this. Like there, there's a whole host of reasons and I, I think that's that's speculation on 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 your part where it's it's definitely not clear that there is a large number of capital on the sidelines specifically because of that because of that one issue. Not not to diminish your your issue or whatever. No, but no, I think we're no, spending no, a little no, like, too much time on, on this whole subject. Yeah,
4: yeah. I'm not uh, disparaging anything that the chat is very accurate in a lot of critiques. I'm trying to say like is there a way to very simply do this? And and like, is this like a, a, a potentially big deal to a certain segment of the potential market that would use Thorchain? And I think it's important to realize that there's a reason why Thorchain is in trust wallet, right? Like, no rinky-dink little DeFi startup gets into trust wallet, right? So there are big players in this space, including CZ, Binance, who would know all about trust wallet, or all know know all about Thorchain. So I think what's going on is the world is kind of looking at Thorchain and seeing what's going to happen with it and how and how it's going to become maybe a big player because. In a lot of ways, the primary use case for for Thor chain isn't really trading and stuff like this. It's going to be for large, major, like self sovereign organizations who want to use the protocol for the same benefits everybody here does, which is full self custody swaps. That's perfect for nation states. Let yeah, me put so it. So that's that's the concept. Was, I'll right? put it. I'm this, just thinking on a much much bigger level. Let
1: me put it this way, and then we can we can we can. Um... Uh, talk more or
4: move on or whatever, but like that's fine. No, I've, I've I've made my point. I think everybody. I just wanted to make my point. I could be wrong. Like you know, I'm not like trying to say I have like you know any kind of like magic sauce here. It's just a concept that I'm like, just really thinking about how to like contribute to the to the overall like health of the protocol. So thanks for your time, Jed. I appreciate it. Working.
1: Yeah, 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 no, I, I appreciate you bringing it up too. But let me let me just break it down in a different way, just so I so that so you and, and at the greater greater audience can understand the difference of opinions here and why. Uh, I feel the way you feel, and maybe whatever you feel. You feel. The the mode of attack, assuming somebody has a, a, a enough room to get the, 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 enough nodes to run and in, in simple attack on Asgard and lose a bunch of money to do so. But like, assuming that all happens in the current model, what protects the network from somebody doing that and, and acquiring all the nodes there in a specific Asgard? is that they have to bond up on, on a wide range of bonds, high, high and muscle low. The low ones are hard to get in because they're low bonds, obviously, right? And so the idea that you can get all 10 in, while mathematically as certainly as possible, it is quite difficult and requires a lot of turns, blah a lot of these things, right? And what you're proposing is instead of the bonds having any relation to this whatsoever, um, 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 you're talking about, it should just be through these modes of in- these inputs of, of randomness. And that, you know, you mentioned timestamps of blocks and you mentioned, um, you know, the app hash of the last commit or whatever it is. And, and we can talk about all of those things and and all those things that can be pushed in make, even like the, the timestamp, like I'm a part of the signing was created the next block. I don't like this time right now. So I'm gonna go ahead and delay it another second and a half or whatever the fuck it is. Like I can easily push things out further at will in order to, you know, uh, cause us to not create a block at a time period that is not even time's hard because it's like there's no sense of time within blockchain so i don't even know how that would necessarily work but like like everything is just like i can just have my 10 nodes or whatever nodes i have in the network now just constantly be pushing the time or pushing the app hash or pushing this or pushing that whatever it is to to eventually create an outcome that mathematically is my, my best interest which i can just arbitrarily do Anytime and as often as I want, with as many nodes as I want, and attack as many off like attack as many times I want. With the other system, I have to wait. I have to get. I have to just like I can't manipulate the outcome in the way that I want. I have to just like just sit there forever until I get there, right? I, and like and there's nothing you can really do to speed it up. But what you're suggesting it gives people an, abu- an ability to speed it up, right? Like and even even if you don't speed it no, up, no, it doesn't speed it up. It, anyway. it
4: increases the duration of time. Like if you don't adding this shuffle method doesn't like get like increase your ability to get into the validator set. It's like there is there is no there is no reduction of anything. It's in addition to. If you're but if you're picking the val and there's
1: a whole other series like I didn't even get the other things but like if you're if you're picking the validator set based on randomness and you want a certain input like some number is going to be put into some let's just call the number seventy two. That's the starting point of randomness. Like, whenever you talk about randomness in computers, it never is actually a random. It always starts from some integer, such as mathematically how it works in an actual like computer, right? So like you you have to boil it down to some integer, and then that becomes your point of randomness. That's just your starting point. Your launching point of randomness from that particular integer, right? That's why if you like if you do ask for randomness like at number seventy two, you always get the next result is four hundred seventy two. The next one after that is thousand twenty four. The next one, like, it's not like it's it's actually a predictable a billion times into the future, if you know the
4: start the starting point. So you're looking for a specific well, start. Like there's point. there's other aspects to it. I don't wanna like let's like I think we could leave this because like you know it's gonna go on for a while. Like I I would probably just keep counting you and get di- getting deeper into the <laughs> method, but I just think you know, like whatever. Like you know you know who we are, like we're nerds getting off here. So and, <laughs> if everybody like feel free to check my video. I'm happy to have feedback. Just trying to make a contribution. Also. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Yep. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it definitely doesn't go unnoticed and it, it's just not on the, the high priority list, but it, it, I, it'll definitely be taken a look at uh, eventually the more more deeply. It's just obviously a lot of other things like lending and, and things we got to get out there before we talk about like the, uh, you know, the, the, this type of thing. But thanks for participating. Uh, anything else we want to talk about? There's ADR zero zero nine, but I don't know if we really want to get into it, in like a like an hour and a half in or or anything like that. Uh, it, it, do you do you want to get into that, Chad? Or
1: it might be might be too much to discuss. Um, we can if you if you want to. It's it's a, it's it's an interesting idea. I honestly don't even know how I feel. It actually was my idea, to be honest with you. But I actually don't know how I feel about it. Like. I, I'm not necessarily... like I'm, I kind of like it, and I kind of hate it at the same time. So I'm, I'm kind of a mixed person.
0: Yeah, so... All right, let, let's kind of go into it, because I, I do kind of want to talk about some of the pros and cons, because I also feel like kind of mixed about it, where it seems like it could work, but it also seems like it's... It, I don't know. it It's strange. So ADR009 is the most recent ADR, which came up this week. And this comes off of ADR, ADR8, where it basically takes away uh, a source of income for the reserve. And uh, ADR-8 is meant to fix the gas fees, overpaying for gas fees to make it more one-to-one. And ADR-9 is basically the proposal to fix the reserve income, which would be taken away by 008. So ADR-9 is... Yeah, it, it does quite a lot of things. It's quite complicated. And I think... Uh yeah, let me just go through some of the some of the stuff here. So the goals of ADR nine is to overhaul the price, the fee price denomination. Okay, uh, revamp fees to source five hundred thousand of annual income to make up for ADR 8 and then overhaul the the role of the reserve in fees. So the way it accomplishes this is essentially stops. And Chad, correct me if I'm wrong on this because I only really read this like once or twice. But it it, it effectively stops paying <clears throat> LPs and uh, savers directly and instead funnels all of those funds back to the reserve and bumps up block rewards to make up for the difference in uh in the actual um yield that is that is given to lps and savers and the the end result of this is basically all yield is given to lps and savers through block rewards only Mm
4: -hmm. and
0: any kind of income direct goes to the reserve which is what funds the block rewards so yeah yeah, it's it seems like it's a complete total dynamic shift which is why like i I think a lot more like you know thought research and discussion needs to go into this and probably like a full vote to get this were to go through because it's complete change of like how things work today but yeah, I'm curious to what you think are like the 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 good parts of this and the bad parts. Like, think about the good parts. Yeah. The, the yield will be much more steady for for all actors, so like it'll be much more predictable. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it, like you know, it. it I don't know. It, tell me, tell me what you think about this, Chad, and where you're, wh- where, you, where you think the wins are and where you think the uh, where the shortcomings are.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like all right. So in ADR zero zero eight. We're reducing the gas fees um, that that swappers pay um, to, so that they, you know, have better price execution to what we was kind of saying with our wizard earlier about, you know, putting an X and get as much Y out as you can. The gas fee being a 3X gas fee in its current implementation, you know, takes out, a, a you know, reduces Y by some number for that purpose. And so that what that hurts in a sense is, is it hurts the shrimps, right? Not, not so much the whales because they, really, they probably don't really give a shit. But the shrimps, the smaller trades, kind of get, you know. So when you were talking earlier about, you know, not being competitive on the um, on the uh, uh, changely change now, blah blah and 500s are minimum or some some number. The hell, the number is like that's largely the reason why it's 500 and not 100 is because of those those fees or the, those three x gas fees. And so, <clears throat> by removing those gas fees and people just paying one to one uh, or 1.5 to one, more accurately. Um, and that's a whole different topic. But like. Uh, by doing that, so you're making swaps cheaper and you're, you're having better uh, trade execution, which is great. But now we've basically lost, more or less, we've basically lost the major income for the reserve. And so this idea in some ways um, says that, okay, what's gonna pay for the reserve is not necessarily the swappers themselves because they're gonna pay the same swap fees either direction, like either way, it doesn't really matter if this is enabled or not enabled, they're still gonna pay $10 in swap fees and instead it's just it's it's really the lps or the nodes that are going to be paying for the reserve rather than the swappers right and so if the argument that a person can make is that like well you know maybe the first class citizen of the network really shouldn't be you know lps or nodes in a sense but it should be the ones that are bringing in income from the outside right which is the swappers like they're the ones that are actually providing we're providing the value, the, the service to, They're the ones getting the value out of this thing more than anyone else in some sense, arguably. And they're the ones providing like income into the network and, and injecting revenue and injecting organic income and real real yields. They're the ones that bring in the real yield of the network, right? And so if you wanna prioritize that and say, hey, you wanna capture more shrimps, we want more people to do that, let's not charge them f- additional fees and, and kind of push the shrimps out in the interest of topping up the reserve and making sure the reserve has an income, and, and we don't get into a place where the reserve goes to zero, because we don't want the reserve to go to zero, that would not be good for the network. We got to pay things with it, and we don't want to mint room. I mean, room could go to, the reserve could go to zero, and that's fine as long as we just start minting room, which is what every other Cosmos product does, and this has an infinite supply of whatever Cosmos token we're talking about, which is not the approach that that I personally like. And so that's kind of the argument here, right? So swappers stop paying for the reserve, they get better price execution. Shrimps are, you know, swaps are better, more viable for, for shrimps in a sense, because of this uh, this change. And now LPs and nodes in, in effect are really actually paying for the reserve in a matter of speaking. Um, and we can tweak that up and down. Like we can increase the emission curve or decrease the emission curve to, to like, you know, to kind of tilt more yield for LPs and, and less yield for the, for the reserve. Or, or vice versa, that's another kind of like lever we can pull as a community to, to kind of decide what's, what's fair or what's good. Um, that's, that's kind of the, in a nutshell, right? So, but here's like kind of the, the biggest negative that I, that I think about when I think about this feature is that um, the yield of any DEX for the most part today is directly correlational to its trade volume and generally like macro conditions. Right. So in in bull markets, everybody's elated. Everybody has euphoria. Everybody thinks crypto is the best thing in the world. People are buying that left and right. They're trying to day trade. They're trying to get ahead of the curve, blah, 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 like all this kind of crazy hysteria happening. Everybody trading and buying. And so there's lots of trade happening and the yield goes high, you know, to, you know, 30 percent yields or how the quantity is going to be, whatever. And so you kind of ride that. In this design, that wouldn't be so true, right? In this design, it's more consistent yield. Like it's kind of pumping out at a relatively consistent rate. Everybody's getting, you know, yield pretty, pretty stably and which is great in a bear market because in the bear market, that other model kind of makes very little, little yield in the general sense of it to like general DeFi and in the bull market, the yield of any DeFi project is generally much higher because of a lot more activity and things. People are talking and tweeting and such. And so you have much more, you know, volatility in terms of the yield of being an LP. But this kind of says, you know what, screw the volatility. Let's just kind of average it over time. So it's more of like a smooth, you know, income for, for LPs rather than like thing that pumps up and pumps down and pumps up and pumps down. Um, and that could be problematic in a sense of like when we get to a bear mar- oh, sorry, a bull market, everybody's excited about crypto again. Everybody's talking about crypto. Oh, what's the highest yield? Well, It's not going to be fucking Thorchain, it's going to be you know this other DEX over here. Uh, you know, let's, let's talk at like you know, cryptos. Uh, DEX, the guy on stage with us here, and um, and people are might flock to him because he's got the higher yield because he's you know getting higher yield because he's paying out because the market conditions are running high and hot, and so they're getting higher yield. So maybe that would happen then, but then they would fluctuate back into our network in the bear markets, blah blah. blah. So it's like that's kind of the argument or the like kind of the thinking that I have is of like I kinda of like it because it uh I like the idea in general of, of moving this the swappers from paying for the for the reserve in some sense because we want them to be cheap, we want them, we want them to be plentiful. We want as many swappers as possible. That's probably the first priority in some ways, uh, more than anything else. And we, and we try to get LPs because we want swappers. We don't get LPs because we want LPs. We want to get LPs because we want swappers, right? Like, it's really what they're here to do is to provide capital so we can acquire more swaps. Um, so that's the argument. Uh, and I don't know how I feel about, you know, the kind of volatility thing of, of, the, of the income. Like, I kind of like it and I kind of hate it at the same time. So I'm, I'm kind of mixed on myself.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a big departure from where we're at currently. And I I definitely think more, like, I I think we just need some data, especially, like, on things like block rewards. Like, what is the, do do you know anything about the effect of block rewards and the price of rune? Like, I'm sure there has to, like, by injecting rune into the pools, that effectively lowers the the price of rune over time, right? Like, that's what I think about it, at least.
1: I mean, so, um, yes. So the current supply of Rune is, you know, I think like 320 million or some quantity, I don't remember, but like something like that. And the rest of it's basically in the reserve for the most part. And um, as you admit block rewards, you are, you know, diluting the price, right? And, and uh, you know, that's just a f- the fact of the mathematics of it, right? Like, you can't deny that how much of an actual literal effect it has on the price is a much more debatable concept. Cause um, when you pump rune to the pools from the price block rewards, you are um, effectively creating sell pressure because now those assuming that that before that block, the uh, the ratio between the asset and rune in the pool was perfect. And the, the, that was the market price, the pool price and the market price are equal in this particular second. And we added a bunch of more rune into the pool, whatever that quantity is. And like, it's not a lot, like it's uh, like, a few rune a day a few rune a block or whatever the hell it's not like it's really you know pushing anything but you you increase the quantity of rune in the pool by a, a slight little tiny um teeny, teeny tiny bump but technically speaking um an arbitrage bot would arb that and then you know uh sell that rune in the market and create a small amount of sell pressure technically that wouldn't happen in a single block just because the, the amount in the block is so small and so tiny and, and broken down to so many different pools that it's not um, possible for an bot to sell that because it's just you, you would pay more in fees and that kind of stuff that it's wouldn't be you know mathematically a pro- um, uh, profitable. You'd have to wait until like you know 100 blocks or 200 blocks or some some I don't know what the hell the number would be but just some much larger number. Um, I it, and we've had arguments within Discord too about like the effect of block rewards on the price. You know, and you can take a look at a comparison, look at a project like Osmosis, uh, which has much higher block rewards. Like they they inflate the, the token significantly higher than than, than we do as, as, a, as a protocol. Uh, and we can look at like, you know, the, how have we performed in the bear market in the last few months versus, you know, Osmosis. Like, and are they underperforming us or under? And, and it's like in price, there's a lot of things that go into price than just like number of coins and just in circulation. So it's like, This is, you really can't make a direct correlation for obvious reasons, but like you can try to get some information that way. Uh, My own feeling is that it's not very significant and it's getting less significant every day, especially as the liquidity of Rune itself, like the the daily trade volume of Rune, like the number of millions of dollars of Rune trade per day increases that block reward uh, effect on the price decreases along with every block. It does get less than the previous block in a literal sense. So, I don't think it's that very that significant. If we were to double the block rewards, that that would be obviously different, right? And maybe we, we would we would do that as part of this because we were now taking all this revenue from the swap fees, and now we hypothetically we would you know double the, the the block rewards, and that would have double an effect on the price on the the price on the rune asset. It's really hard to know exactly how much of an effect that would have. My feeling sense, and I can be completely wrong about this, and I'm happy to be wrong. if Someone's explain to me why I'm wrong is that it would not be that significant, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering if there was any actual analysis that went into it. I guess it does make sense, though. I think it's around like 30K rune a day, and especially when that's divided amongst all of the pools, it, it it's not especially significant when, when it comes to the actual depth of the pools and how much it's it's diluting. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it seems like about, it's kind of just like dust compared to uh, just the regular mo- regular price movements that uh, would be captured by ARBs. So if, if you think about,
1: if, if, say the number is 30,000 rune per day. I don't, I don't know if the number's on the top of my head. I'm assuming you're correct with that. Sorry. Uh, the, the trade volume of Thor chain itself, of rune itself is like, I'm looking at quick market right now. It says about $36 million in, in 24-hour trade volume. Like 30,000 rune in the context of, of 36 million is to me it doesn't sound like very significant, right? Like it has an effect for sure. like I'm telling I'm agreeing that it has an effect, but I just don't think it's like, you know, gonna cause room to go to zero or anything like that. Like that's that'd be that'd be absolutely ridiculous. So like I really don't think it'd have that significant effect on the price, but it definitely would have us some effect. Yeah,
0: is there any data that you think that would um, be useful to know to determine whether uh, like ADR nine is the direction, the the better direction to move in, or like what, what kind of data do you think that we need to to look at to determine whether this is the right direction to go or to continue with the the, the current model of paying LPs directly rather than paying the reserve and have the reserve pay LPs.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, I don't, I, it's not so much about like data collection in my opinion uh, at a high level. It's more about answering like two questions that I think the community should think about and decide for themselves whether they think this is a good idea or a bad idea. The first question is who should pay into the reserve to keep the reserve pumping and, and working and all these kind of things, right? Should it be croppers? Should it be LPs? Should it be uh, nodes? Uh, it could be just Rune holders by just minting Rune into the reserve, like that would just cause Rune holders, everybody who's holding Rune to, to pay into it, right? That could be the answer. That's the first first uh, a question to, to answer. Second question that you should think about is, do we like the idea of more consistent yield for LPs and notes? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And I think you can make an argument for it's good. You can make an argument for it's bad. I think both have legitimate and fair points to be, to be made. But that's just the two questions. I think at a high level, if you want to get to a high level of discussion, think about those two questions and answer those two questions. That probably tells you the general direction you like.
0: Would it be possible to go back in, in time, say a year, and simulate what the uh, what, what the difference would be in a position? Say we implemented this one one year ago, and you look at any uh any lp position and you know get obviously given the same price movements and given the same income but instead distributed is that is that even like a possible calculation to to make to help to
1: like drive yeah uh, one direction or the other it is and but it also depends upon like um changes to the emission curve right and also depends one like when you enter and when you exit so so like to think of it um and another way of like the yield that it, that the reserve earns from the swap fees in this scenario, it's paying out over a curve over like a hundred years to come, right? It's like most of it's happening now, but you know there'll be a tail end of it in a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years. Like it really, it literally goes like, like that. Like the math max, you know, is kind of fascinating to look at. So it's like income made now is used to to pay into future LPs and future notes. Right. And so you could, so if you want to answer that question, you just asked about like, Oh, if if you switched this like a year ago or a year and a half ago or something like this, it depends on what you, what you, how you change the emission curve. If it's unchanged or it's increased or decreased in the direction you want to go, that will change the outcome of that. But yeah, I think it's theoretically possible to to calculate that. I think like maybe Orion or uh, one of the other um, data science people in the, in the community can probably do that calculation.
0: Yeah. Cause it seems like paying to the reserve directly is almost like saying, Oh, like we're putting this money in a trust where it gets mm-hmm. distributed to you over the next hundred years. So it, it's like it's like forcing someone to, to to save basically, where instead of just giving them the the earnings that they would have had, it's like saying, "Oh yeah, we're these these are the earnings, but we're going to give them to you over the next hundred years. And if you leave before then, then you're not getting the full earnings." So like, but but they would also be be since the block rewards would be turned up, then they would be getting paid more from those block right. rewards so yeah it's just it's
1: right. uh at that point it would be more or less nuts right like it would more so be uh in some sense a, a, a dead even scenario anyway right if, if the block rewards are increased in a relative to the you know the, the, the decrease that you lose from the swap fees itself then it's like it's nothing happened like it's actually mathematically it's, actually not, it's not the same technically speaking, but for all intents and purposes, nothing changed in the network at all.
0: Yeah, I think we'll need to stew on this one a little bit more. I, I, I don't know whether there's going to be more discussion about this, um, but yeah, this is a, definitely an interesting one.
4: It's interesting. I haven't seen a lot of,
0: yeah, a lot of different thoughts on it.
1: We, we haven't actually had like a conversation about changing like a a significant change to how like the economics of the core protocol that's been around for years. Like We haven't talked about making any changes to that in years. This is like the first time we've actually done that, at least in my my recollection that I can think of.
0: Yeah. And it it does kind of make sense to rethink some of the core economics, but it's also a lot of change where it's like, you know, things do work as is and there could be better solutions, but is there... Is there a solution that is simple enough to arrive to that produces a better outcome? Is yes. is the core of the question, and it's like, how, like how to determine whether it'll produce a a better a better outcome, uh, right. or not? Because we used because it's not just the the reserve doesn't just pay for um, for block rewards; like it's also doing things like underwriting, uh, lending, and and other things as well. So there, there's like a lot more yeah. implications than just like the future LP awards one of
1: the one of the things that the reserve does today that i actually had the idea the other day and i was talking to lena about it but like um and i'm not saying this is going to happen right i'm just floating a concept but like um is that we right now the reserve pays for the um the gas fees to do a migration where we do a churn and we migrate all the funds from the old Asgard's to the new Asgard's. the reserve pays you know approximately i think it's like around a thousand rune like one to th- one to three thousand rune depending upon some like gas fees and runes price and whatever but like uh pays a bunch of rune every you know three and a half uh three uh days uh gets kind of bled from the reserve into this kind of like idea of paying for gas fees and so i kind of floated the idea that like maybe the reserve is actually not the right not the actual correct thing that should be paying for that because it's really the validators who are in, who are in charge and, and take on the cost of operating the network itself like they, you know, spin up AWS servers and they run Bitcoin daemons and um, all this kind of stuff and run validators and sign TSS signatures or so like the actual operation of the network itself is actually on validators to to do so and and, and pay for the cost of operating the network itself. And so maybe the, the, the fees, were, were the gas fees we're paying to do a churn um, should be paid by validators instead of the reserve. So take it right out of the bond module instead of the reserve module. Um, and that would cut into the, the, the uh, fees of a, um, the income of a, uh, of a validator. But like, again, like validators are already earning like 14% APY, you know, they have very little down, down risk for them other than some slashes from their own mistakes. For the most part, um, and there's not much of a like risk to them. And like, if you were to charge them an extra thousand dollars per per churn, whatever, a thousand rune, not a thousand dollars, but like, if you were to do that, like, it would barely even register in in their apys or it'd be quite insignificant. Like, you know, because they make I think thousands of rune per, per churn, or some whatever well, the number is, you know. And so it would register as like, you know, a um, hundred rune each, you know, which is like fuck all. Right, so, but it, but it makes more, I can argue from just a, from a design perspective that like it should be on the validators to pay for the cost of the operation of the actual, of the network itself, which includes churning itself and, and moving funds from one, one vault to another. And if the validators wanna like reduce their expense in that percent, they can just like, oh, we're gonna churn every three days and we're gonna churn every six days instead of three days or something like this. And have less churning, they can do that too. but that would reduce one of the things we use the reserve for and one of the costs of what we, we take out of the reserve, which would probably be a good thing.
0: At that point, isn't it just the reserve paying it? Cause the, the reserve pays block rewards to the, the nodes and then using that in, isn't it just having the reserve pay it just with extra steps? Like the reserve is still paying it, but it's coming out of the share that is paid to, uh, paid the nodes
1: yeah yeah then in the end like it's it's correct to say that the, the reserve is used for the pol and the reserve is used for for like backing um well that, the, the pol backs the sense and blah, blah 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 like but like yeah it backs the sense by via the pol and it, and it backs the lending in some sense but honestly like uh and um like it's it's a it's not likely that we would actually spend that much room well maybe it would I actually I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that like uh, it's not likely it, that we would actually use rune in the reserve for lending. It's definitely possible, and it may actually happen. But the statistical odds of that, in my opinion, are quite, quite white, quite small, considering the how the cap works on lending. It's definitely possible. We'd just have to see the price of rune to go three x lower than, you know, um, than than uh, bitcoin's price or whatever it is. Which was the only time we've ever seen that we've seen that twice in history, and that was when Thorchain got exploited multiple times and pause and all these things, and then also it went from from bull market to bear market. But you'd have to see that happen, and you'd have to see a hundred percent of all loans to be closed, which you almost never see that. Either you wouldn't, you didn't even see that on terror when there was a complete collapse happening there too. So it's just like the odds of it happening, I think, would be extremely small. But I, uh, maybe I'll be eating my words that, into the future. But like. I just I just can't see that being a, a reasonable thing to occur. The P well is a much more realistic scenario. Um, P well could be used a in a in a in a more viable way. And, and maybe it will it will one day. But in the current moment, we don't even need the P well at all. Like it's not even much enough demand on no sense to to cause the well to be even triggered. So, you know, maybe we won't even be using it for years. Yeah, and speaking of that,
0: last thing I I want to go into because we've already been on for two hours, but. Uh, the POL seems really close to being activated. I checked this morning and we're at 48% Synth utilization. POL, its target utilization is 45% and it's supposed to tick on at 50 uh, and, and then marches down to 45. So it's like fairly, we're fairly close to, to being there. Like I, I could easily see it happen within the next uh, one to two weeks that POL gets turned on finally now that we've reached almost reached the threshold of uh, being at 50% since utilization. So yeah. it seems like we're in the, the final stages of, uh, of that. And then we can finally get the POL era started.
1: Started going. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, uh, you know, say we start using the POL, you know, in a couple weeks, like you were saying, maybe that's true. And then hypothetically we say we launch lending. Right. And we'll say we launched lending uh, next month. I don't know. I don't know if that's, I'm not saying that's going to happen next month or not, but I'm just saying hypothetically. Uh, and then, you know, rune, um, we buy and burn 5 million rune out of the pools and, and buy it out of the Binance uh, order books and so forth and so on, which, um, you know, should cause the rune price to go up, which causes the P wealth of maybe leaving, uh, you know, the pools. And <laughs> so it might, it might get in, dip a toe. And then, like two weeks later, like get the fuck out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, yeah,
0: it, 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 anything could happen with PO. It's all just based on the price movements of of rune and right. like, whatever asset it, it's paired with. So it's like you never know. If, if yeah, if all of a sudden rune just goes way up tomorrow, then it's like we might. It's We could never see POl if if for some reason this it's is possible. like the absolute lowest. You know what if, I mean?
1: So if we yeah. were to start a bear a bull run tomorrow, which I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but if we were then you know altcoins just in general outperform bitcoin like just almost in all cases not in all cases obviously but like just generally speaking that's just always true just because of the lower market caps and so like rune's price would just naturally outperform bitcoin and therefore the people would be less and less needed unless savers becomes like a really in-demand product and like everybody awakens to the power of savers and bitcoin or bitcoin maxis uh get the thumb out their asses and they they like you know start pausing a bunch of bitcoin but like yeah the room price could just but then again the opposite could happen where uh you know some people are very bearish on the, on the macro sense of things and and the stock market's going to crash this year above a lot of people are saying shit and and that who knows if that's fucking true or not nobody fucking knows but like if that were then like the people would would, would jump in more right because the room price is not at you know where it is now like a dollar something and it would, maybe maybe it's a dollar even who knows like that could that could happen you know over the next six months couldn't tell you
0: Actually, actually, last thing, I, I think you I think you said you might be away, Chad, uh, May 17th. There's there's going to be a, a side event at uh, Bitcoin Miami, the Bitcoin Builders Conference. Uh, it, it's mostly dedicated to layer twos. And I guess, like you know, like Stacks is going to be there. Some of those some of those wallets. Uh, I asked them about speaking slots and they were totally down to have one of us at the uh, at, at the stage on uh on may 17th doing a spot there so if you're available it'd be great to get you down but i think you might be busy so we'll see if anyone any of the nine realms guys or maybe i'll i'll go out or um I, I think it'd be a good idea to just have some face time down there though and it's always good to meet builders in person for, for integration stuff but
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds yeah. like a lot of fun and, I, and i'd be down to do it but my 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 wife and i and my kid are going to japan uh Probably next week, so so we'll probably be gone for an extended period of time. Um, i know I'll be still you know alive and working and such, but I'll be on I'll be in Japanese time time period <laughs> time zone. Cool.
0: Well, have fun in Japan, Chad. And then, uh, so I guess, uh, yeah, definitely let us know because then that means we may or, may or may not do these spaces. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out.
1: Yep. Appreciate it. Oof. Oh, and is it is, is there like right. a Thor, a Thorchain event at the at the consensus later like later this month? Think, uh, right? yeah, the
0: Fathom X guys were telling me that they wanted to run the expo again, but I is consensus like this week? I think it's
1: like very yeah, soon. I, mean, it, I think it's like the twenty sixth, or twenty seventh, twenty eighth. I think that's what it is
0: yeah i I think they they were talking about it but i haven't really seen any noise since they they were trying to get some speakers and 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 such but um you know i think there's just a lot of challenges to go into it and they were also they're asking me about this like two three weeks ago so it was like very very recent so it was it wasn't like a a huge notice uh nor nor do i think like a lot of uh people from the community would would be out there so i'm not sure if the cost is worth it they they seem like they wanted to do it though and they're also local to the area so um, yeah they
1: asked they asked me if i'd be willing to to speak whenever and i kind of um, at that time, I didn't know if I was going to be in the country or not, and now I, and now I know that I'm not, so I won't be able to go personally. But
0: yeah, yeah, I I haven't heard anything recently, so I'm assuming it's not happening. Uh, I think it'd be a good idea for the future. I, I think it's a better idea to make it like a full cross chain thing rather than just like a Thor chain meetup because our our community is very small and we're also very integrated into other like ecosystem so i, I don't think it that's really true. makes sense to have like a, a just a door chain conference but it would be a great idea to have like a cross-chain like a real cross-chain event where it's like you know we do it with like you know i, I, I don't know all the different cross-chain protocols we, we go there with layer zero and uh and like i don't know some ivc people I, i'm not even sure but i think that's that's a much better idea than i actually having, like a, that. a door chain conference I, I can get down with that yeah so I just got to organize it and that's that's the uh that's the issue because i don't think i could do that
1: <laughs> nor do i have yeah, any interest in doing that i don't i don't have the time i'm spending too much time on Thorchain and, and Archeo and other things that i'm trying to work on and build i'm trying to start a new podcast too which i've been putting that off for fucking weeks jesus christ there's yeah. too much shit going on and then you go to japan and i go to japan yeah go <laughs> gotta keep the wife happy yes yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that, that'll be fun uh yeah, man, I'm jealous. All right, well, let, let's let's uh, let's wrap it then. Great hey seeing you guys again, and uh, yeah, maybe next week, or if you're if you're away, then uh, maybe not. So yeah,
1: thanks everybody. Hey guys.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Enjoy Japan.
1: Thanks, man. See you guys. Peace.